Today we're going to be going back into our series in John, uh, the Word, uh, by going into John chapter 9. We'll have the verses on the screen. Um, but also this morning, and we're not going to have all of these verses up there, but uh, as we are going through worship, uh, there's another bit of things that the feel like the Lord and the Spirit kind of brought into my mind that I want to bring out of Romans chapter 8. Uh, and so if you have a physical Bible and you want to go to Romans 8 and the rest of the verses will be on the screen, or if you have your phone and want to open up Romans 8 on your app um, for when we do get there, um, invite you to do that because I, I feel like there's some things in there um, that really connect to this, but also connect to the, the songs uh, that we had this morning. So anyways, uh, coming back into the book of John uh, and the series entitled The Word and kind of taking a look at Jesus' life and all the different interactions that he has and the stories and the parables that he's teaching and, and what we can learn from this um, going chapter by chapter. Uh, and since it's been a number of weeks, be either between uh, Christmas or the prayer focus or the, the two weeks of um, you guys actually doing a really, really great job of being the church. I, I just want to say that in the moment right now, like like over the past two weeks, um, I, I'm proud of you guys as a church, and and I can't tell you like how blessed I was, because um, two weeks ago, and, and this is going to be a bit of a set, but two weeks ago uh, on Saturday, I was like, I'm feeling fine, and you know, like maybe I dodged a bullet with some possible COVID exposure and everything like that, and uh, we got some tests just in case, and and then Saturday night came, uh, and I started to like get some chills, uh, and then about a hundred degree fever, um, and that's about the worst that I felt through the whole thing, um, but I took a test and it came back positive. Um, and actually, that weekend was a weekend I was supposed to be gone anyways up to go visit my parents for Christmas. Uh, and Christian, uh, our elder, other elder here, uh, was going to preach. But he happened to be in the same car that I was in when everything kind of like happened to be exposed. So then he calls me and he's like, yeah, I'm feeling just like you're feeling. Uh, and so it was honestly like on Sunday morning, two weeks ago, um, that we kind of called the worship team up and said, hey, can you kind of... Uh, just do church, you know, and, uh, and they're like, yeah, we got it, and uh, then something similar happened, you know, last week, where, like, I was starting to feel a little bit better. Honestly, I've preached feeling worse than, than how I was feeling last week, uh, but I took another test, and it was positive, and I just like, I don't want to be up here being like, blah, you know, uh, sharing is caring, but that's not caring if you're sharing that. Uh, anyways, um, both Sundays, I, I was able to just rest with this peace. I almost said rest in peace, and I realized, like, that's not going to come across right. But I was able to rest um, with this peace um, that we're the church. Uh, the church isn't this building, and, and we're moving to another temporary situation with that. But, but the church also uh, isn't the, the staff organization. Um, it's, it's not just one person uh, or, or two elders, but, but the church is the, the gathered saints of Christ coming together to, to worship him. And, and we're all given different roles. We're given different gifts by the Spirit as he chooses, as he appoints. And, and, and so there's an aspect of that structure that, that typically takes place. Um, 
But I was sitting there and reflecting about how I had uh, a church that we could just call and say, I'm not going to make it. Can you guys make something happen? And know that it's going to be gospel-focused. Know that Jesus is going to be lifted up and that you guys are going to care for one another. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I don't know of many other pastors or churches um, that could have, and maybe they do, but I've never heard a story before where the pastor is just like, yeah, my church has got it. I don't have to worry about it. And, And that's what I had the past two weeks. Uh, And so I want to thank you, honestly, for that, just to begin with. Thank you for being the church. Thank you for just following the leading of the Spirit. And and to me, this is the strength uh, of what we have, because it's us walking with each other, uh, regardless of what circumstance um, comes up. And so thank you for that. I I really appreciate that. So, between the last two weeks with that, then Christmas, it's been a while since we've been in the book of John. Uh, And so I just wanted to kind of take a moment uh, to give a little synopsis uh, of what we've seen up until this point to kind of give you a picture of of where it's coming into. Uh, Over the past couple of chapters, chapters uh, 7, 8, and 9, there's been a lot of confrontation happening between Jesus and the Pharisees. Uh, One of them was a man who uh, has been paralyzed um, from birth, and he was healed on the Sabbath, and they told him to pick up his mat uh, and walk, and it was in the temple, and, and the religious leaders at the time were just outraged because this is the Sabbath, and you can't be doing this work, uh, and again, Jesus is saying, well, like, why not? Like, like you would rescue a lamb that's fallen. Why, why can't we rescue somebody that's been in, in pain and paralyzation for their whole life? Uh, But then that's not the end of the confrontation because he also is teaching publicly in the temple during a festival and and literally telling them, you don't know who God is. Because if you knew who God is, you'd know who I am. Uh, And he doesn't explain that to them. Uh, And so they're getting really offended and um, really kind of this conflict is increasing, even to a point uh, in chapter 8, verse 59, there's like a, a visceral, violent response. Like they, the leaders get so angry, they literally reach down to begin to pick up stones in order to start throwing these stones uh, at Jesus. Um, and, and the text tells us that he was hidden from them. Uh, I don't know if that's like the, the Holy Spirit, like cloaking and invisibility kind of coming up, um, or he was able to just kind of like walk into the crowd and they lost sight. The text doesn't necessarily tell us, but, but he was hidden from them and, and begins to, to walk out of the temple. Now, I wanted to give this background uh, because it feeds into today as well as we get into John chapter 9. Uh, Jesus is not backing down from these confrontations. And, and in fact, it's almost like he's poking the bee's nest here, trying to create these confrontations in order to, to give them um, an opportunity to really assess where they're at. Because if he just follows along with their religious status quo that they've created themselves, they're going to think that they're doing fine. They're going to think that they're doing okay, that they're doing the right thing. They're going to take it as an affirmation uh, and just continue to go on. But what has happened over generations is this whole oral tradition has created this pattern of how they should worship God. 
And honestly, we create some of those same patterns ourselves. This is how we should do church. This is the right way versus the wrong way. And it's not even necessarily in Scripture, but we can create these traditions and these patterns. And Jesus is really pushing on these um, in order to show them that, that worshiping God and knowing Him, truly knowing Him, truly submitting to Him, and whatever He's going to do, even if it's radically changing how they viewed God through Jesus Christ's coming, that you submit to that. And so uh, in John chapter 9, this is him. He's been hidden from the religious leaders. Uh, he's heading out of the temple. Uh, and in verse 9, or rather verse 1, it says, As he was passing by, he saw a man that was blind from birth. Now, I just want to pause here because I, I, I think that's a simple sentence. But in that, uh, there's a lot speaking of what Jesus is doing here. Um, in the word, the Greek uh, for the word saw is both with eyes, like, like literally he saw the man, um, but it also means to perceive, to know, to, to understand more about the man than, than just seeing. So I, I don't know if a blind person at that time, you know, they, I'm guessing they didn't have the white canes with the little red paint at the bottom that, that we're able to tell, like, like somebody's blind. And I, I'm pretty sure, you know, um, the guy with the glasses wasn't there singing. Um, and, but maybe they had something over his eyes. Uh, maybe the eyes themselves looked like uh, he was blind. So, so he saw that this man was blind, but he also saw and knew, perceived, that he had been blind from birth. Uh, and so really there's no way to tell that, uh, again, except for like the leading of the Spirit. And, and Jesus would be spending time with his Father and he would be doing the work of the ministry that, that he was called to do. But, but he perceives and knows that this man who is there has been blind from birth. There's no sign sitting there saying, I've, I've been blind from birth. Uh, and yet Jesus understands this, knows this. Uh, verse 8 also reveals that this man was a beggar. Verse 18 tells us that his parents weren't even able to care for him because after this whole situation takes place, the religious leaders call in the parents and they're just like, we don't know what happened. Uh, and so he's kind of in his situation on his own, and yet Jesus knows. And, and I think that's something very important for us to gather here today. That regardless of what situation we're in, Jesus knows. He knows us fully. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 uh, tells us that, that we're fully exposed to him. And yet he chooses to intercede on our behalf for us. Even knowing every aspect, every dusty, cobwebby, dark corner within our lives. He, he knows, he loves, he pursues, he redeems and he works. And, and so Jesus just passing by in a situation, there's literally guys behind him with stones in their hands saying, where did he go? And he's walking by out of that situation. If, if that's me in that situation, I'm doing the whole hood up thing, you know, and just kind of like I'm getting, getting out of here and I'll deal with this later. But he notices this person. He knows that person's situation. And he knows yours. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows how long you've struggled with it. He knows your fears, anxieties, worries, the things that have happened. And he wants to work in those situations. 
And so he doesn't pass this man by, but, but he continues on. And, and he, actually, he's not even the only person that notices him. Um, I'm guessing that he paused and he's looking at the guy. And in verse 2, his disciples were by him and asked, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither the man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, spread the mud on his eyes, and said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he left, washed, and came back seeing. And so as we read through this, there's some really, really interesting things. Um, Jesus, like, rubbing his spit on a guy's eyes. <laughs> like, like, it's something that you don't necessarily consider when you think of Jesus and, and miracles and things like that. But that's happening in this passage. But, but also in this are some very emotionally charged questions. The disciples see this man who's been blind from birth. And their first question is, who sinned? The man? Did his parents sin? What's the reason that he was born blind? And, and as they were saying this, it's almost like, why did this deserve to happen? Like, that's the question that they're wrestling with. Why? Why did this happen? Why was he born this way? What was the cause and then effect of this? And in saying that and asking these questions, the disciples were revealing um, Maybe something that they wouldn't openly acknowledge, and I think it's for us the same thing, but, but really kind of leaning on a worldly mind, mindset that, that is a concept of good things for good people and bad things for bad people. That that's the way that the world should go. That if you do good things, then, then you should get good things. Or at the very least, bad things shouldn't happen to you. And, and that if you're bad, like maybe some good things... You, you happen to get steel or whatever, but, but you'll get your karma is the word that's used. You'll get your just desserts in that. And, and as we consider that, we might often um, deny that concept or, or deny that, you know, that idea of karma in a sense. But how often um, when we find ourselves in di uh, difficult situations, we start questioning like, I didn't deserve this. I don't deserve for my car to break down. I didn't deserve to slip on the ice and like put my back out. I didn't deserve for this person to betray me or abuse me or, or whatever. Like we have that, that mindset of well, why did this happen? What did I do to deserve it? And we start questioning those things. And really, they can be seeds of beginning to, to question God. And Jesus responds to them when they're saying, like, why did this happen? Why was this man born blind from birth? Well, did they deserve it? Because then if Jesus says, well, you know, his parents, they, they were pretty bad sinners, um, especially when she was pregnant. And so therefore, this is a result of sin. That's an easier pill for them to swallow in that moment. Oh, that makes sense. Or, no, when he was a kid, like, he killed a puppy. Um, and because of that, God struck him. Oh, he's a puppy killer. Like, that makes sense why he's now blind. For the but, no, did you notice what his answer was? His answer actually, I think, makes this even more difficult. 
This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. He was blind from birth so that God's works might be displayed in him. That's a hard thing to wrestle through. And yet I think it's something that we need to wrestle through because we have those same questions in our own life. Why did something happen? Why is this person sick? Why did this person die? Why? These were questions that people in Waukesha were answering over a Christmas parade. And I think it's something that we need to wrestle with ourselves, and we're going to get into that in a moment here. But I think the other thing is, is that Jesus is saying that the parents didn't sin, the man didn't sin. There's a different reason for this, but we can't take that statement and then assume that, that illness and other things don't happen because of sin and make that a blanket statement. Because there's other passages within Scripture, and it's a whole other study, and it takes more time than we have this morning, that show that there are connections uh, to physical illness and death when it comes to sin in our lives. And there's connections to that. And so there's some circumstances where that might be a cause, that might be a reason. And it's one of the reasons that as a church, as we look to pray for people who are sick, pray for people who are dying, we're asking the whole time for the Holy Spirit to lead us. Like, like, how should we pray in this situation? Is there something happening that we should know of? Do, do we need to do some work with the heart and with God in this situation? Uh, but in this particular case, in this particular uh, instance, Jesus' response is it's nothing to do with sin, but rather this came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. So then the question becomes, is Jesus saying that God caused this man to be born blind, to, to live in difficulty and pain, shame, maybe being mocked every day of his life until this moment so that Jesus can heal him, he can now see and have this rejoicing? That's the kind of question that we have to wrestle through uh, the sovereignty of God. And when we use the term sovereignty of God, it, it means essentially that God is God. He can do whatever he wants to do, but because we know that he is good and that he is love and that he is holy, that he is the absolute good in all of existence, that anything that he chooses to do is righteous, holy, and love. The text doesn't tell us that God caused him to be blind for his whole life. But what we have to wrestle with is if God had chose to do that, it is righteous, it is good, it is holy, it is perfect, it is pure, and we trust him because he is God and we are not. And our understanding of how things should work and what is fair or what is not needs to be submitted to his wisdom in all situations. Romans poses this question. It's like the potter can make two different vessels for whatever purpose he wants. He can make one to, to be like a gold vessel made for holy purposes and, and he can make another vessel to be a bedpan. That's his choice because he's the potter. 
right? So that's what we have to wrestle through, uh, but we have to trust the sovereignty of God and his goodness regardless, but I think this also is speaking to something um, that I believe Romans 8 really helps us to bring out. And so again, if you have your Bibles, you want to go there, um, your phones, we'll look at a few things with this. But in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 28, uh, is, is a verse that many of us have memorized. Uh, it says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, and so again, there's a qualifier in here. You're, you're called by God. Um, you are saved. You're adopted by him into your family, uh, into his family. But what he's saying is all things uh, work together for the good of those who love God. And, and so regardless of whatever situation we've been in, God will work to bring good out of that situation. Doesn't mean that, that we won't go through painful things. Doesn't mean that we won't face difficult situations, uh, terrible things, abuses happening to us. It, it doesn't mean that. What it means is that if we choose to walk with God through whatever situation it is, whether it's something that's happened recently or something that we've been wounded from in our past, he will work within us and use that to bring about his glory, his work at power, which brings about healing, which brings about strengthening, which then is used for his purposes. That statement, I think, is profound here in the book of Romans, most likely written by Paul. And, and as we do this, and as we look through this, um, beginning in verse 12, and this is where it's not going to be on the, um, the screens. Uh, but in verse 12, Paul's really talking about how um, by through salvation uh, and the Spirit's work within us, uh, the chains of sin, the chains of death have been broken. And we're made alive by God's Spirit working within us. Um, even that concept is something so profound that, that people in the world don't have. We all go through difficult situations. We live in a broken world where sin is rampant. Bad people do bad things. That is a universal human experience beginning with Cain and Abel when one brother was upset with the other and picked up a rock and bashed his head in. Like it's been rampant through all of human history. The difference between uh, those who do not have Christ and those who do is this very aspect of the Spirit within us making us alive, empowering us to walk through these situations, and God using them for good, for His purposes. The Spirit here, uh, in verse 14, he says, All those led by God's Spirit are, are God's sons or daughters. You do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This intimate relationship. Abba essentially means Daddy. The aspect that we can go to the, the creator of all things. The one who holds all things together. And have an intimate personal relationship with him. Verse 16, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And if children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be also glorified 
with him. And so there's this beautiful aspect of, of through salvation, we're adopted into the family of God. We're, we're considered to be the sons and daughters of the creator of the universe and co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the holy one, the, the one that lived without mistake. We, we are lifted by his blood into being considered co-heirs with him for all of eternity. This is what anchors our hope in heaven through, through all things. But he also says here, if indeed we suffer with him, Christ suffered while he was here on earth in order to pay the penalty for our sins. We, we live in a time period where bad things still happen as we wait for Jesus Christ to come back. And there's an aspect to that, but here he says that, again, this great gift overwhelms every experience that we have here on earth. The next verse literally says this in verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us sufferings of the present time not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. We've talked about this verse in the past. It's the whole concept of, of heaven and eternity with Jesus Christ as co-heirs for all of eternity is going to be so amazing, so intense, so much of a blessing that we can't even mentally comprehend it at this moment. Just try to imagine no more death. No more death. Imagine not having a pain in your body ever, ever again. Like, like, it's hard for us to comprehend. Like, like, I can't remember, like, the last time, and it's speaking to my age, you know, getting into the 40s and going forward, that there wasn't something that was, like, a little off, you know? That's going to be gone. Imagine never having a cold again. Like, it's almost something that in our state we just kind of accept. Like, there's the cold and flu season, and we'll get through it. But then there's the hay fever season. But we'll get through it. But then there's the mosquitoes. Those are going to be gone too. We can't comprehend it. We can think of these little things. But the idea of spending eternity in the very presence of God himself with Jesus Christ with, with every barrier stripped away, with, with every sliver uh, of shame stripped away, all feelings of guilt are gone because we know that we know that we know his forgiveness because we literally met him on the throne on the day of judgment and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to my presence, let's party. Because he says that, right? Like, like even some of the communion verses that we look through, he says, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until we do it together in the kingdom at the great celebration. Like, that's what we have to look forward to. And, and what Paul is saying here is that it's going to be so profound that the worst things that have ever happened here on earth are, are simply going to be fade away to the point of where they're meaningless. We, we don't even comprehend them anymore. And for him to say this, this is Paul. Uh, he's, in, uh, he's writing this. Um, Paul, the man who was um, beaten um, almost the 40 lashes twice. 
he was a man that his own people um, dragged him out of a city, threw stones at him until he thought that he was dead, and then left him. This is a man that was shipwrecked a couple of different times. Uh, a man that at times um, had no money or food and just completely relied on the generosity of others in the church. It's a man who lived in a Roman prison. Not with an exercise yard and you know all the benefits of the meal, but a Roman prison um, back in like before medieval times. Think of a medieval prison. This was before that. <laughs> um, this was a man that as he was in prison, one of the letters that he writes is like, could you just bring me a jacket? Can you bring something to help me stay warm? And, and so he knew suffering. He knew people trying to kill him and almost succeeding multiple times. At one point, he had to be lowered outside of a city in a basket just to avoid death. And so he knew suffering. He knew betrayal. He also knew guilt and shame. This was the man, when his name was Saul, persecuted Christians to the point of death. Like, like literally, he had papers that allowed him to walk into your home, say, we know you're a Christian, and drag you out and take you to prison to be executed. And, and he did that passionately until God met him, blinded him, and, and he came to that encounter of being adopted into the family of God. He knew forgiveness, but he also knew that sense of guilt, that sense of shame uh, from the past. And, and so here's a man that knows the sufferings of this world, and as the Holy Spirit is inspiring him, he writes this that says the sufferings of this present time in his mind being almost beaten to death multiple times, multiple shipwrecks, Roman prison is not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. It's this idea of we live in a broken world, bad things happen because there's bad people and sin in this world. Our bodies were designed to be perfect, to, to be able to, to live forever. But as sin came into the world and death with sin, we have sickness and decay and brokenness and genetic diseases where people are born not expected to live just because the, the genetics are twisted or chromosomes are missing. We have lives that we lead and, and through no fault of our own, uh, devastation can happen through abuse or attacks. Bad things happen. But the promise within this is that what God is going to reveal to us is so much better so much more beautiful that it's already beginning within us that these things will fade away. But then in Romans 8, 28, it also says that he works all things, uh, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
which means that as bad things happen to us, as we walk with God through it, as His Spirit brings healing to us, it doesn't mean the pain disappears. Right? That's really hard to happen. And I think it's going to take all of eternity, and it's going to take the face-to-face aspect with God where we go, whoa. The last 60 years just faded away because I'm here with you, right? And so while we're still here, he works within us and, and he brings about this healing and work within our hearts that nothing in this world can offer to us. That even though the enemy tried to kill, shame, destroy our identity, our hope, our dignity, God doesn't allow it to happen because he replaces it. He makes it new and gives us an identity that is bigger and better than anything that this world can offer. But it takes us choosing to accept that and to walk through it. Because if we continue to try and hold on to the identity that the world has given to us or, or a concept based on the idea of good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, and why did I deserve this? I didn't deserve it. We, we base our identity on, on that structure. We become bitter. We become angry. We become warped and twisted. And we become cynical of life and people. That's just a normal, human, sinful reaction to bad things happening. But when we submit to the work of the Spirit within us, God takes that, even if we've been that way for years, and through His Spirit and through healing and through receiving a new identity, it's almost like He unfolds that crumpled up mess of our life inserts the Spirit into it and creates something new and beautiful because it was broken. There is a, a type of art that's done in Japan, and, and I wish I remembered the name of it. Um, I'll try and remember to look it up and post it on the, the Facebook page later. Uh, but essentially what they do is, like, if you have, like, a, a china cup, like you have this things sitting on the shelf and your little three-year-old is throwing a ball and and here's this 80-year-old china cup from like your grandmother and it falls onto the ground and it breaks into multiple pieces. I I remember doing this to like something from my dad and (laughs) he wasn't the happiest. But what they do is they make art out of it. They'll, They'll literally take gold And piece it together, piece by piece. Uh, And instead of using glue, they use gold. And and it results in this cup that where every little crack was, now there's a gold seam in that. And it comes back together and and almost is more beautiful than what it was originally. What? Kintsugi. Well, post that so you can see it. But Kintsugi, thank you. What happens is you still see that it was broken. You can still see where some of that that pain was, but you can then see how God has worked in that situation and now has given it a new purpose, a new identity, and a new understanding of what healing is as he pieces things back together. 
It's the hope that we have through this. And so here we have this situation, and, and he's going through this, and Paul is pointing out suffering happens, but God's at work within this suffering. And then he wraps this up, because I think there's this tension in it that we don't like. We'd rather there just not be suffering. That day is coming. That day is promised to come. We'd still rather not have suffering here. Paul's saying, it's going to happen, but God's at work in it, making it more beautiful through that. And it's not worth comparing to what he's going to reveal to us. He's going through this whole tension. And then in verse 31 he says, what then are we going to say about these things? This tension between suffering and yet God working, yet pain in our lives. Uh, What are we going to, to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Even did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How can he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring accusation against God's elect? Who uh, can do this? It's God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus is the one who died, but even more raised, and is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Again, just like the blind man, he knows your situation from your birth on. Knows your struggles, knows your pains, your worries, your fears, your anxieties, your brokenness, and he's interceding for you at the right hand of God. Verse 35, what can separate us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Paul's not saying they're not going to happen. But as they happen, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers or height or depth or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the beauty of God's work through difficulty and suffering. And so we come back to our passage in John, and and here's this man who has been born blind from birth, and we don't know the exact causes. We just know it's not because of sin. Maybe it's one of those genetic things that happened. Don't know. But God's at work. Uh, Jesus himself spits into the dirt and the mud, rubs that saliva and dirt together on his eyes, uh, and he is healed in that situation. And it reveals him being at work in that, and that healing then being glorified. Is there still pain in this man's life? Sure. He's still alive on earth. He still doesn't have a job in this situation, right? But the glory of God touching him in that moment is changing his life forever as he moves on from that point. It's the same thing for us. We find ourselves in difficult situations, difficult circumstances. The touch of God, the healing that he brings, changes us, adds an aspect of his glory at work within our lives and our circumstances that give us the opportunity, if we choose to walk forward in that new identity, saying, this is all different now. I'm no longer what I was. 
Yeah, that pain might still be there. The, the physical difficulty might still be there. But we will walk forward in a new sense uh, of identity, a new sense of purpose, a new sense of the light that Christ has given to us. There's one other thing um, I wanted to make sure to bring out of this passage. Uh, there was a few other things referring to Jesus being the light back in chapter 1 um, and how now we're called into being light. Um, but in verse 4, and I, and I don't want to miss this, in verse 4, um, it talks about how we must do the works of Him who sent me while it was day. And, and so Jesus is sitting there and He's, he's talking to them in this circumstance and, and saying, like, we need to keep doing this work in this situation while it's still light, uh, while it's still day. Verse 9, um, verse 4, rather. Again, this is coming out of neither this man or his parents sinned. This came about so God's work might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Uh, and then it talks about in verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, this is Jesus, I am the light of the world. And so these works that he's talking about it is this glorious insertion of heaven uh, into difficult circumstances that re uh, reveals the love and glory and power of God that results in transformation and people turning and trusting Christ as Lord and Savior and their whole lives being transformed. Like he's talking about that work. But in this passage, I think there's a few things that we need to, he says in verse 4, we must do the works of him who sent me. He's not just saying I, but we, his disciples, meaning us here today. Uh, we must do it while it is day because there's a night coming when no one can do the work. Then he says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And so Jesus is saying he needs to continue to be about the Father's business uh, until the time for that to be done is over. For him, it was while he was here on earth, crucified, resurrected, rose to heaven. But then he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Which means for us, it's still day. There's still works to be done, and we still need to be about our Father's business. And that business is the pointing to the glory of God at work in difficult situations. The hope that what we see and feel and experience here on earth is not all of reality, is not all of existence. In fact, it is a shadow that will pass in the light of Jesus' return to the point where the experiences that we have here and now fade away. We're called to be about that same business as Jesus, to declare that hope, to, to share our faith and our testimony with others, to be able to pray for people to be healed, for God to be at work in every situation, regardless of how painful, whether it's a physical pain, an emotional pain, psychological pain, he calls us to be at work in order to show that God can heal and use all things for the good of those who love him, for those who are adopted into his family. This is the hope that we have. It's a hard passage to wrestle through because our preference is no suffering. Our preference is to be able to have ease through all that we do. 
But the truth is is that when difficulties come and we trust God through them, they become more beautiful because he's the one that does the work and we don't have to. We just trust him and walk with him through that. Now, there's a lot of nuanced ways to go into how to actually do that. But the hope is he knows you, he sees you, and he's at work within you. And he wants you to help him do the same work in others. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, We thank you for uh, passages like this uh, that can be difficult and challenge uh, our conceptions of what is fair or what is right um, and reveals that even in the most difficult and ugly or dark situations, you are at work and, and that because you're at work, there is a supernatural aspect that is happening um, that is beyond how we feel about it, but it is anchored in heaven for all of eternity. As um, you turn graves into gardens, you turn shame into dancing, you turn our wounds uh, into beautiful representations of your healing work within us. Lord, I pray that you help us to walk in that truth and to carry the light of that hope for others as well. In Jesus' name, amen.